Well, good morning, church. How's everybody? Where are you all? I told the I told the worship team this morning it it's it's about quality, not quantity this morning. So, yep. If if you're out in the foyer, if you would come on in, we're going to begin to worship this morning. As you can tell, I am not Nikki Whitney, unless you were wondering. She is out of town, so uh, ask me to lead this morning. And it's not about who's on the platform, is it? It's about who we're worshiping and who we're who we're praising. So we're going to praise the Lord this morning. Uh, so it, it's really good to have you here this morning. Let me offer a, a welcome. Uh, let me offer an invocation before we begin our worship together. And um, again, it's good to have you all here. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful morning that you have given us. Lord, just a reminder of your presence in our lives and uh, your goodness to us. And I pray, God, that even though we, most of us have come into these doors many, many times before, Lord, that um, this is a this is, this is the present. This is the day the Lord has made. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to take the opportunity to worship you, connect with you. Uh, you are such a good, good God, and we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we celebrate this morning. Lord, may, may these not just be words, but Lord, may this be rejoicing that comes from our souls and from our hearts this morning as we Lift up song to you, and as we hear from our pastor, bringing your message a little later uh, today. But God, we just say thank you, and uh, we are we are we feel very grateful to be here in your house. For it's in the name of your risen Son Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you would like to stand with me, we're going to begin this morning by singing the lion, the lion and the lamb.
is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood makes the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Who can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow. the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow for the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. to worship this morning comes from Psalm 147. It's verse 1, and I'll read it. Uh, let's, uh, let's focus our hearts this morning. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting to praise Him. That's what we're doing this morning. Would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Come thou fount of every blessing. To my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming God. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to To rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. God of glory, voice 
to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a better bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and heal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy last praise again. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Amen. I love you, Lord. Your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Till I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God Let's sing what's true is running after, running after me. 
with my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Sing that again. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. as we sing that song um, that there are two groups of people here and there are those of you who are still in the waiting of a season and you are remembering God's faithfulness. Maybe there's something that you are waiting on provision for. There's something that you are looking for. There's something that you're asking God about. You're desperate for direction. You're desperate for his, his wisdom, for his mercy, for his grace, and you're just waiting. And sometimes we can be in those seasons for an uncomfortably long time. But then I also suspect that for some of you, today you are remembering. And in a moment, when we look at our passage, we're going to notice that the Apostle Paul calls us to remember. And it's so good. Did you know that there are a lot of places in Scripture where we are called to remember? And I think that when you're in those waiting seasons, when you're in those seasons where you are, are waiting on God, it's helpful to remember so often I cling to promises of God and I, and I remember that, God, you haven't let me down before. You've never failed me before and I know you're not going to fail me yet. I know you're not going to fail me now. And so wherever you are, whether you're in that waiting, you're just looking for, for the faithfulness of God to be made known, to be realized in an area of your life, or whether you're in a season of just remembering and thanking God for his goodness, 
my prayer is that you would draw near to him this morning and and either draw near to him for strength, for that wisdom, that provision. But regardless, it should demand a response from all of us of, of sheer thankfulness and worship before God. And so would you come to this time of prayer? Would you enter into this time of prayer and would you tell God what it is that's on your heart? Would you make make it clear where you are are looking for his direction and his will in your life talk to him about it he's here and he longs to hear from us and then for some i i encourage you for others i encourage you to come before god this morning and just give him the praise that that he is worthy of he is worthy of our praise he is faithful he is good He loves us. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is kind. He comes near to help those who are in need. He draws near to those who are thirsty, who are hungering for him, for his goodness. He never lets us down. He never leaves us shortchanged. He never leaves us on empty. He is good and he is worthy of our worship. And he wants to carry your burdens this morning. So church, let's pray together. Let's come together before the throne of God and offer up prayers and thanksgiving to him. God, I'm humbled this morning as I recall and remember all of the ways that you've been faithful in my life. For whatever reason, God, when we sing this song, it's like this playbook of my life just plays through my mind. And I remember the nights, those long nights, the, the dark nights of the soul. God, I remember the nights that I, that I laid awake just waiting for you, God, calling out to you, wondering if you were there, wondering if you were listening, sharing my, my pain with you, grieving, God. And I remember that that even on those hardest, darkest nights, that you truly did draw near to me. You didn't leave me lying there alone. God, your your presence was so palpable. Your presence was was made known to me. And I'm so thankful that, that on those long, dark nights of the soul that I could cling to your goodness, that I could cling to your promise, that I could cling to your faithfulness. And God, you never let me down, not once. Not once did I call out for you and you didn't come. Not once did my heart cry out for your loving kindness and presence and it didn't come. And God, today, this morning, it's a new morning. Your your mercies are made new. Your mercies are made known. And this morning, I am remembering. I'm remembering your faithfulness. I'm remembering your goodness. I'm remembering all the ways that you have have been present and and gracious in my life. I'm thinking of your goodness, God, and how even when I didn't deserve it, even when I doubted it, even when I questioned it, God, you never held back. And so this morning I offer to you, and, and I hope I'm not alone, this morning we offer to you thankful hearts. 
that you are there on the mountaintops, but God, you are present in the valleys. You are present in the wilderness, in the waiting, in our longings. God, you, you never leave our side. You're always with us. And so, God, for those who are in a season of waiting, for those who are, are walking through the wilderness or are in a season of pain and grief and, and, and there's this lack of understanding, there's, there's this mystery, God. God, I pray that you would draw near to those and remind them or reveal to them your goodness and your faithfulness. God, help them to see that you are with them, that they are not alone. God, that you are available. God, I pray that as we sit before you this morning, I pray that you would fill this place with your love with your Holy Spirit. Wake us up, God. Shake us up. God, fill us with more of your love. Fill us with a sense of wonder and awe. God, help us to, to not feel content with just how things are. Give us a longing, a desire for something that is deeper, for something that is richer, for something that is more fulfilling. God, would you fill us with that? We are desperate for, for you, for more of you. We've been talking about how there is always more of you to discover. There is always more of you to be made known. And so God, help us to not be content or complacent, but God, help us to, to truly have a desire to know you more. Fill us with a compassion that just spills out, that spills over. Because God, we know that that is your heart, that you look upon us with loving kindness, with compassion. God, help us to look upon others with that same loving kindness, that same mercy, that same grace, that same compassion. We are so utterly dependent upon you for everything. God, as I open up your word, as we open up your word together, I am dependent upon you to give me the words that you would have for us today. Holy Spirit, I pray that, that nothing would come out of my mouth that's not glorifying to you. I pray that, that our hearts would be open to to your teaching. God, would you make yourself known to us in a new, in a special way today? God, we love you and we are so thankful for your goodness that we can see, that we can touch, that we can realize. We don't deserve it, God. There's nothing we can do to earn it, but you are so good and we are, are so thankful. I wonder if we could end this time of prayer with a familiar song. Could you sing these words with me?
people said, amen, amen. Thank you, Dave, for playing that on the fly. (laughs) Just a reminder for uh, children, kindergarten through fifth through sixth grade, we do have children's church going on downstairs. If you uh, are interested, just to let you know that's going for some of you kiddos who might be wanting to go down there. So just a friendly reminder. All right, well, this morning we are continuing in week three of of our series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, We are opening ourselves up to this letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in Ephesus, and, and we are just kind of seeing what we can gain from this letter and what it can speak to us today. And so just a little bit of a of a kind of a catch up to where we are. We're going to be in chapter two today in Ephesians chapter two. Uh, it, it, we're going to be picking up with verse 11, but I just want to point out to you that you're going to notice a few times in this passage that Paul uh, calls the uh, Gentile Christians to whom he's speaking. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He calls them to remember. He says that a few times in this passage, and I, I alluded to that a little bit ago. Uh, And he says to remember, and what he's calling them to remember is what we talked about last week. Just really quickly, last week we we talked about how, how and Paul is calling Gentile Christians to remember that you were saved by grace through faith, and it's nothing that you've done to earn or deserve that. There is nothing that you could ever do that could earn or deserve God's loving kindness, but it's been given to you. You've been saved by grace, through faith. He's calling them to remember. Remember that sin no longer has a stronghold on you. Remember that that the power of sin has been released, and now you live in the power and in the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. He says, remember. He's calling them to remember that, that we are to humbly approach God, to humbly live with one another, recognizing and acknowledging that we've all been the recipients of God's grace, even though we don't earn it and we couldn't do anything to deserve it. This is just a friendly reminder that it's helpful to dialogue with someone after a sermon, that it's helpful to to go through some of the things that, that were preached, that you can try to talk about it with other people. And our, our group, our life group did that this last Wednesday. And I was really grateful to hear the perspective of somebody in our group who, who said that if we're not careful, some of what we talked about last week could be turned into this idea of like self-loathing, self-loathing. There's this 
invitation almost, if we're not careful, to, to really beat ourselves up and make, us, make ourselves feel like just the worst thing ever and that, oh, I'm no good, I don't deserve any of this, and, and I'm just going to feel terrible about myself. And I was so grateful for that perspective because I could say with certainty, with confidence, that that is not what Paul is looking for. And so I think it's helpful to acknowledge that for those who, who are already self-deprecating, right, who can easily kind of get in this negative self-talk, I think that, that the invitation here is to, to humble ourselves and to acknowledge this gift, this beautiful gift that we've been given of grace, and to acknowledge that, that I, it's not because of me being good. It's not because of anything good I have done, but it's because of what God has done. And, and so if you ever feel this, this inclination or kind of this, this temptation, if you will, to, to feel self, self-loathing, understand that that's not from God. That, that, God <clears throat> that God has called you good, very good. You were made in his image, and that is good. And that's our identity first. We also talked about that in our group. That before sin, before depravity first, we were made good in God's image. And God is working to uncover that. God is working to restore that. It is there. We are good, but only because of God's goodness. Are you with me? All right. Just a little bit of a, of a backtrack, because I just I thought that was so helpful. And just in case anyone else kind of thought that, yeah, that could easily turn into a self-loathing. Friends, that is, is not from God. And so kind of the underlying message that, that we walked away with last week, hopefully, is that we are invited before we can do anything else that Paul is going to talk about, before we can live in this way that Paul is calling us to live, having seen how Christ lived, right? Before we can do any of that, we are invited to first sit in God's goodness. Remember, we did the illustration, before you can walk, you have to sit. It might be confusing for those of you who weren't here and didn't hear that. It, it's confusing. It doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense, but we are first invited to sit in God's goodness in his capable hands. We are invited to just sit and receive fullness and freedom of Christ before we can walk in the ways that he has called us to walk. And so with that, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning, and we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 2 with verse 11. We'll be finishing this chapter. You're ready. There's a lot here. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and you who are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, this dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace 
to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. If you're thankful, would you say thanks be to God? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Told you there's kind of a lot going on here. Uh, We're going to unpack all of what Paul is saying. And we're going to do it quickly. So get ready. Get ready because we're going to kind of fly through some of this, but I, I think it's important. There's, there's the heart of the message that I want to leave us with today, but before we can get there, I think it's, it's, it's crucial that we cover some of the essentials so that we fully understand the context of, which, of what Paul is saying because there's a lot there that if you don't have the backstory, it's not going to make any sense. And too often, we approach Scripture, we read Scripture, and we try to read it flatly as it is, and we try to take, away some, take something away from it, and oftentimes we walk away with an entirely different idea than what the author intended because we don't take the time to understand the context of what's going on, okay? That's a problem. That happens a lot, and it, it, it makes Christians who develops Christians who walk around with a certain idea, even though that is not what the author was originally communicating. We'll get to that in a moment. But Paul is, at this time, kind of shifting his focus from all of the church in Ephesus. There were likely some Jews that were a part of this body, this church, and now he is focusing on the Gentiles. He's turning his attention toward the Gentiles for a few moments. Now, Here's what I think we need to understand about this word Gentiles and what it means. Because some people might think, like, who are the Gentiles? What does that even mean? Who does that even involve? And so I thought it would be helpful for you to see where this word Gentiles in Scripture comes from. And it comes from this Greek word ethnos. You kind of see where that could lead, right? You understand that that's grafting for us this image of, of a people or a nation, right? A different ethnicity. It's a, it's a nation, but particularly in, in scripture, what it's referring to is a people or, or a nation who are distant from, or distinct rather, from Israel, who are, are not of, of God. And this is the polite term that was used. Like when Paul is talking about Gentiles and he was talking about circumcision and, and uncircumcision at the beginning, like I think from what I understand in my reading this week, scholars talk about how there were ethnic slurs that were just thrown around toward Gentiles because of their outsidedness, if you will, like because they were outsiders. Jews didn't hesitate to remind them of just how much of an outsider they were. You follow? And so Gentiles was like the polite term to use when oftentimes there would be, there would be these these slurs thrown at them because of, of 
what, you know, you can, you can imagine what I'm trying to say, right? Paul's talking about circumcision, uncircumcision, and people could be really ugly about that toward the Gentiles. And so this idea here is that there is a, a nation in which God is Lord, and then there are those nations who did not recognize or acknowledge God as Lord, and those nations were the Gentile nations, Okay, and so that's what Paul is talking about here. Remember, you kind of have to go back and recall, remember that the nation of Israel began with a faithful man by the name of Abraham. You know this, right? This is Sunday school material. With this faithfulness of Abraham, God, God made a covenant. God made a promise, and God promised Abraham that, he, that his people would grow to become a great nation, that there would be a great number of them, and that God would pledge himself, covenant himself to these people if they would covenant to be the faithful, holy people of God that would show the surrounding nations, the Gentiles, who God is. Right? God covenants himself to the nation of Israel. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people, but we're not just going to stop there. Like you're not the only ones who for whom this for who this promise is for, but I'm I'm covenanting myself to you so that you will go out into the world and show the world who I am. That was the understanding here. And we know, we talk about this a lot that the nation of Israel does deviate, right? That they are often tempted to act and live and worship like the Gentiles, like the other nations. So many times in Scripture, it's, well, they're doing this, and we want to do this. They have kings. We want kings, right? Time and time again, the nation of Israel is looking more like the other nations rather than the covenant people of God, and they're, they're going backwards. But because of God's faithfulness, because God made a promise, a covenant, like a, think of a, of a marriage covenant with Israel, and he never wavered. God continued to work through the very sinful people of Israel, and he would find those who were good and were faithful to, to being the light, and God would just continue to work through them in, the, in any way that he could but he never turned his back because he, he has a covenant relationship with Israel. And so that's what you need to understand, that the Gentiles weren't outsiders for the sake of being outsiders, right? Like that's kind of what it turned into, this, this, this idea of who's in and who's out. But it was the reality. It was the reality that there, was, there were nations that were lost that didn't recognize God as the one true God. And so when God saw a faithful man, he said, I'm going to work in and through you and your people to show the world who I am so that they will see that I am the one true God. And then we fast forward to the Gospels and we see that when Jesus arrives, Jesus himself acknowledges, and I don't think we always understand, it maybe makes us a little uncomfortable, that Jesus himself says, I came first for the nation of Israel, right? Like there are times when Gentiles would come to Jesus and he's like, it's not time yet. I'm still dealing with my house, the house of, of Israel, right? Jesus was addressing issues, kind of cleaning house, if you will, like addressing, man, you call yourself the covenant people of God, but I'm here to tell you, you don't look anything like him. I'm here to show you what, what God looks like, how God loves, how and who God is. And, and Jesus had to correct some of those issues that he uh, saw within the Jewish people, within the nation of Israel. And then Jesus uses language often that he came for all, 
right? He wasn't going to stop with the nation of Israel, obviously, but Jesus came for all. And by the way, I think I said it a moment ago, but I just want to reiterate, that was always God's intention. God always planned and wanted to make a way for the whole world to be brought to him, for the whole world to know who he is and that he is the one true God. But imagine for a moment, this is a lot, I know, imagine for a moment living in a world where it was Jew and Gentile, right? And there was this massive wall, and we'll talk about this wall, between the two. And, and it was like there was deep disgust for the other for lots of reasons. And imagine living like that for as long as you know, as long as you've known, and then all of a sudden, someone starts telling you that it's time for you to live together as one, in unity, in harmony, in love, and in peace. Imagine how difficult that would be for a moment for the Jews and Gentiles. Try to take like, like ourselves out of the context for a moment and just imagine it from a Jew-Gentile perspective. I don't think we fully grasp sometimes how difficult this must have been. Must have been. I think about Peter, for instance. Remember in Acts, when, when God appears to Peter in a dream, and God begins to show him, this is the food that, that, that my people ate, and this is the food that, that they didn't touch, right, because it made them unclean. Now there is no longer these, these laws. He, God is removing this, this barrier between the two. And Peter had a hard time with this. Peter argues with God, and he's like, wait a minute, Lord. No, no, I could never. And God says, hey, who's in charge here? Like, I'm telling you that this is how it needs to be. And little does Peter know, it's because he's going to have this incredible opportunity to, to have a meal with Gentiles, people with whom he was never allowed to associate or gather around a table with. But God brings him into the house of a Gentile. And Peter has this beautiful moment of realization in Acts chapter 10, where he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. This is Peter working towards that, that wholeness that, that God is working toward now that Christ has destroyed this barrier. So that's the first thing you got to keep in mind when you're hearing and reading about Gentiles. Like, that's the history that's the history that's being addressed here. And then another thing that I want us to know is that this passage brings to mind, there's a lot of like structural language in this passage. There's a lot of talk of, of like building and temple and foundation and, and cornerstone. There's, there's a lot of words that Paul uses that would bring to mind to listeners this idea of a structure. And this, is, this has a few different implications. One implication, uh, man, I'm doing a lot of like teaching today, and, and I'm much more comfortable with the preaching, so bear with me as I have to like put on my teacher hat, even though it's not the one that's my favorite to wear. But, but Paul is, is addressing a group of people who, when they're hearing the word temple in Ephesus, the first thing that comes to their mind is not a, a holy temple that belongs to God or his people. Right? The first thing that comes to their mind is not even this idea of, of the body of Christ being a temple. The first thing that's going to come to their mind is this temple, and it's the temple of Artemis. 
The temple of Artemis was a big deal in Ephesus. It, it kind of ruled the scene in Ephesus, if you will. It inspired, as you can see on this picture, hopefully it's kind of that you can see it okay, inspired by the goddess Artemis, who is believed to have ruled over her people in Ephesus. Like, this is what Christians are up against in Ephesus. They are dealing with what is described at times as a cult, right? And there is this worship happening to the goddess Artemis. There are these rituals taking place. We read at times that there are parades of people marching toward the temple of Artemis, like calling out praises to the goddess Artemis. Go to Acts chapter 19 if you want to read more about that. It really depicts what this division between Christians and those who worship the goddess of Artemis, what that tension was really like. Paul is, is addressing a group of Christians who had to remember who they are worshiping and who they aren't worshiping. It was a big deal. This is absolutely an image that readers would have had in mind as Paul is talking about temples. I guarantee you the first temple that they're thinking about is Artemis, this temple of Artemis, because, I mean, that's a pretty big, fancy temple that catches your attention. And imagine being a Christian in this city where that is what rules the city. That is where everyone's going, right? And so there's this very real tension that the Christians in Ephesus had to deal with. The goddess Artemis had a lot of influence on a lot of people, particularly women. Women were kind of given this revolution through the goddess Artemis. There was a lot of, of ideas that women received, that women gained from, from worshiping the goddess Artemis that were not true to, to what God originally designed. And I feel particularly passionate about this, and I debated on whether or not to even interject this here because it kind of goes, but it kind of doesn't. But I also felt like it's really important for you to understand that Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is not the only place where this issue with Artemis comes up in Scripture. It comes up, and it's what's in mind when Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, particularly when Paul is writing a letter to Timothy in which he says that women ought to learn in silence and in full submission. I feel compelled to address it because that's a problematic passage for people like me. For, for women who were called at the age of five to preach and growing up and hearing, well, Paul says women have to be quiet and silent, that's a problem for me. This passage has a lot of problems that, that infect uh, that influence my life. And so I think that it's important that you understand that this is the context that Paul, in which Paul is speaking to Timothy, right? Paul is, is instructing Timothy, listen, women are, are getting all these ideas of what it's like to be a woman and, and what it's like to rule over men. And these, these ideas are not godly. They're not biblical. But here's the other problem that Paul and women of this day are up against. Men had the um, opportunity to learn scriptures and about scriptures, right? Men were invited to come into the temple and to sit and to learn and they could ask questions, and they could really try to do whatever they needed to do to understand what the scriptures were saying. Women didn't have the right or the opportunity to sit alongside men to learn the scriptures. And so how easy is it then for women to go around, think about the city of, of, of Ephesus, and, and finally there's this group, this cult that does give them 
attention that does say, here's where women can have a role, and it's not godly, right? It's, it's nothing like God had in mind, but what else are they going to do? And so Paul is actually saying something really radical in that problematic passage in 1 Timothy. And I'm only going there because this is the context that Paul is writing to Timothy in, where it's really radical that Paul is saying women ought to learn, right? Like, the, we emphasize, we Christians today emphasize the silencing aspect, but that's not what Paul had in mind. Paul had in mind that women ought to learn alongside men. And the silence was a temporary silence until they learned the right way of, of how they ought to live and, and who, who, is the, who is God, right? Like this idea of who God is, and, and it looks nothing like this goddess Artemis. It's a temporary silence that ought to humble women so that they can learn what it looks like to follow God. I like how Scott McKnight says, it's a learning that precedes teaching. Because as you know, and maybe you don't know, there are lots of places where Paul speaks through women, where Paul lifts women up and gives them voices. And so as, as your pastor who happens to be a female, I felt like it was important to acknowledge that we can't talk about all this issue with the goddess Artemis and not acknowledge that, that there's problematic passages that come out of that teaching that we severely misunderstand. So I hope you'll give me those extra few minutes. It has really nothing to do with where we're going, but I felt like it's really significant and important. So upon calling the Gentile Ephesians to remember, Paul is now inviting them to receive what God is given them, and that is promise, right? God is, is giving himself to them. He is inviting them to, to join with the nation of Israel so that they can be one and that they can worship the God together, worship God together. They are now all one. There should be nothing that divides them. And as we said, this would be a hard word to accept. And that's what brings us to this, this part in the passage where Paul talks about this dividing wall of hostility, this barrier. That's another big theme in this passage. Again, back to like that whole structure thing. There's lots of, of structural language that Paul uses. And scholars are, feel pretty clear, or pretty certain that Paul could have either been talking about a metaphorical barrier or he was talking about this literal barrier that existed between Jews and Gentiles. I know it's really hard to see. This was the best picture I could find. But over here, on the very outer edges of this outline of this temple, it says Gentiles' courtyard. And, and that was between the Gentiles' courtyard and, and then the gates where the, where the Jewish people could go in stands this four-foot-high barrier that separated them, right? And so Paul likely has this barrier in mind, this four-foot-high barrier, this not-much-shorter-than-me barrier that separated one group of people from another. And at its best, you might think, well, that's weird. Why, why, is, why was that ever there? And at its best, this was meant to serve as a safeguard for Israel, so that they would refrain from pagan idolatry, that they would remember when you come into this place, you are to worship the one true God. But at its worst, it, it, it had good purposes, good and holy purposes, but at its worst, it became this mark of Jewish exclusiveness that alienated non-Jews. 
right, in a way that was not pleasing to God, that was not helpful. And so whether Paul is speaking of a literal barrier or a metaphorical barrier, he is seeking to bring an end to this, what we see is this mutual contempt between Jew and Gentile. Because I think Paul knew something that, that we all ought to think about, and that is that there's not a lot of good that God's people can do or accomplish if there is great division among his people. Do you understand that? Like, if all God's people think, still, we're still thinking Jew, Gentile, if all God's people are doing are, are, are noticing the divisions that are between the two of them, what good is being accomplished? Right? How, how much good is actually coming of, of two groups of people who can't figure out how to be united as one in love and in harmony? What good is being accomplished? And I think that now if we can kind of make this, make, kind of open ourselves up to this and think about well, like how this plays out in our time, I think that, you know, as I thought about this this week, I thought, well, we still have dividing walls among us, right? Like Paul talks about how Jesus came to break down these walls, these barriers, but really, if we're not careful, these walls can be built even today. I don't know if you can read all of those, but those are just some things that I was thinking about this week that divide us in the church, right? These are things that, that divide us, and if we're not careful, the world, before they know us by our love, before they know us by our mercy and the goodness of God that is literally within us, they first and foremost know us by what we're against, what divides us, what we can't see eye to eye on, what we have strong opinions about, right? These barriers still exist in the church today. They're different. Remember, we're not putting ourselves in the exact place of Jews and Gentiles. It's, it's much different. But as your pastor, I say it's, it's no less damaging for the body of Christ when these things divide us to the point where, where the world doesn't even know what we're for, who we're for, they just know what and who we are against. And so Paul is saying that through Christ, and church, this is a word for us, through Christ, this wall that once divided is destroyed. It's no more. There should be no more barriers or dividing walls because through Christ, peace and unity among the people of God can be realized. And that hope is for us today too. I love how scholar Lynn Kohick says, she says, God proves the power of his great love in that he can unite natural enemies. Such love, let's receive this, such love is beyond human capacity. In other words, we'll stop right there and say, this is really difficult what we're talking about, right? This is really difficult. It's not easy. It, it, it catches us up often. And so let us just go ahead and acknowledge that we don't have the power. We don't have what it takes to overcome this barrier. Such love is beyond human capacity, only in and through God. She says, God's goal of unity through sacrificial love infuses and excites Paul's imagination about what Christ's shed blood has achieved. The reconciliation brings all people together into a new group where no single culture, language, or political entity is privileged over another. 
all are one. That's what's happening in and through Christ's blood as Paul is talking about. And so that's important. I want you to acknowledge that as the church, and maybe this doesn't affect everybody, right? Maybe there are some people who who are a little more disengaged with, with what's happening in the world and how the church fits into that, and that's fine. But I still think that we should acknowledge that this is a significant issue, that there are barriers that keep us from being the people of God that he has called us to be in the world. And so I think it's important, this idea of tearing down these barriers. And I think it's important for us to imagine how can we work to tear down these barriers that do still exist? But one of the things I love about this passage is that Paul doesn't end with this idea of tearing something down, right? Because think about like if a building is torn down or destroyed, it can be kind of depressing if nothing better goes up in its place, right? All you have left is this rubble, this, this pile of nothingness. And so I love that in this passage, Paul doesn't just stop. He doesn't stop at what's being torn down or destroyed, but he goes on to give us an imagination, a vision of what is built in its place. And this is where I'll lean on the NRSV just to recap 19 through 22 with you. Listen, Paul says, so then, so, so then, what's, what's divided you has come down, okay? What has divided you is torn down. It's no more. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Friends, do you see what's happening there? Something new and beautiful is being built, right? Paul is is inviting the, the Christians in Ephesus to have this imagination that once something is torn down, something new and better is, is in its place now, right? There is this new kind of temple. There's a new holy structure being built in its place with a new foundation. That foundation is Christ, and it's all bound together by the Spirit of Christ, and all can come together as one as the body of Christ. I love how Paul uses that structural language even as he closes up this section. In verse 19, he says, members of the household of God. And so we imagine a house, a house where now we are all coming together as family, as one. And this, again, would have been unthinkable for Jews and Gentiles. You want us to come together as one family? Right? Come together as one, members of the household of God. Verse 21, there's this image of a holy temple of the Lord. The old temple is gone. It's been torn down. Quite literally, this would happen around the time that Paul is writing this. And now we, the people of God, we carry the Spirit of God with us. We are now set apart to come together and to worship the one true God. We now carry him with us. We are that temple. We are the dwelling place, as he says in verse 22. We are now this dwelling place which God lives by his Spirit. And he makes himself known to us even now today so that it's possible 
that even though we're all different and we come from different backgrounds with different ideas of what it looks like to be a community, we have different ideas of what it looks like to be the people of God and how we ought to to live that out in everyday life, But Paul is giving us an imagination to see that we can still come together and worship God as one people who are united in one thing, and that is Christ and his peace, his love. The body of Christ, the body of Christ who carries the spirit of God, he seeks to restore us, he seeks to reconcile He seeks to unite, and he seeks to use us for his good, holy purposes. But that can only happen when we come together as one. It's only possible through Christ, who, as Paul says, he himself is our peace. He is the unifying peace. He is such a beautiful peace It's so extraordinary that that a group of people can come together from different places and we can live together in harmony, working to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, even though we're all different. And I don't want to paint like a romantic picture here. This is hard work. This is hard work. And and if we're really honest, a lot of times we give up before we see the the fruits of the labor, right? Right? It's a lot easier to just not go, not be a part of the body. It's a lot easier to go find another body, right? Like, that's all easy. That's a lot easier anyways. It's hard work. It's not easily accomplished, and it's only possible through the Spirit of Christ. I'm going to end with this. Eugene Peterson, love him, did a lot of his reading this week, and And I like how, regarding Ephesians, this passage in Ephesians, he says, if Paul is right, then why isn't the church, with Christ as its head, the most conspicuous place on earth as a place of peace and peacemaking? I think that's a question that's worth thinking about more than just in this moment. That's a question that's worth taking home with us. Like, if Paul is right... And if Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one, then why isn't it that that the first place that comes to mind when it comes to peace and peacemaking is the church? And maybe there are some of you who would say, is it not? (laughs) Because I think, I don't know, I think the past several years, the, the church has had this glaring spotlight on us. And it's like all that's being made known right now is what divides us. That's what a lot of people are noticing first. I spend a lot of time. I guess I'm asking you to trust me on this. (laughs) Like, I can point you to different resources, different things I've read, different uh, people I've listened to that, that help us to see that this is a problem in the church today. Whether you see it or not, whether you know about it or not, it's a problem in the church, big C church, that we are first and foremost known for what we are against and what divides us. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And I think there's a lot of reasons why that is, and I guess I'll save that for another time. But there's hope here. Because Eugene Peterson goes on to answer this question. He goes on to say, all of us who understand and practice peace in the company of Jesus, who is our peace, we have a lot of maturing to do. 
about the time we are becoming mature, if we ever do, we find that we have brought another generation into the world that has to go through the whole process once again. Humankind, he says, does not mature all at once. And so peace is constantly in the making, but it's also constantly at risk. I don't know whether that's hopeful or discouraging. I haven't decided yet. I've thought about it all week long, and I'm like, I still don't know. I still don't know if that's hopeful or discouraging. I see hope in that. I, I see a reassurance that this is hard and that, that I understand why what he's trying to say is that, yeah, as soon as a group of people kind of get to where they're supposed to be, you have a whole new generation that comes along, and they are a long ways away from that maturity and that peace, right? And so it's, it's something that I think is helpful for us to say, like, oh, okay, we're, we're not just, you know, hopeless. It's, it's just the reality of people and of, of growing and maturing. But I see hope that this peace is constantly in the making and that God has not abandoned us and that Christ still is our peace and therefore we can be a people of peace and reconciliation that the world sees and knows us first and foremost by that. So I'll invite the praise team to come and there's a lot to contemplate today. I say this often and it's just the reality that I no longer deny, and that is that we sit in a very real tension. We sit in a tension in a number of ways, and today that tension is that we know that Christ is our peace, but we so easily forget when we live in, in fear of, of what the world is becoming and all those things that are seeking to, to divide and, and destroy us as a body. And so the invitation for us today on the heels of everything that, that was said, the invitation, what I want you to really think about and pray about and, and respond to today is that we are invited to consider the ways that we can live together without these walls of hostility toward each other. And the more I've thought about this this week and even this morning as I was praying over this message because there's just so much, you know, it's like what, do, what to say, what to leave, I think that until we acknowledge that Christ is our peace, he is my peace, he is your peace, it's going to be really difficult to live in peace and in harmony with other fallen people. Christ has to be your peace. Like, you have to receive him as your peace. And then you can walk in the freedom and fullness of Christ first. And then you don't have to go out into a world and feel like you have to shout and yell for, for what is wrong and how you're wrong and you're wrong and here's why you're wrong because my cable news network told me you're wrong and so I'm convinced that you're wrong, right? Like, that doesn't define you as a person whose peace is, is found in Christ alone. And so until Christ is your peace and, and only Christ is your peace, you're going to walk around in this world disillusion and you're going to keep grasping at straws and trying to make a way for peace. But only Christ can be our peace. And so God, it's messy. It's messy and it's so very difficult. It's difficult to put into words. But I know I'm not alone in that I feel this, this tension that oftentimes I am walking alongside people and yet there's this wall between us. It's a weird thing to, to walk 
arm in arm and hand in hand and shoulder to shoulder with people when there's a wall between us. It's, it's difficult. May we say impossible. And God, we, we accept the reality that this is the world in which we live, that, that we have lots of access to information. We have lots of ways to access what people are thinking and, and, and what, what they think is wrong with the world and with the church. And, and so that's all very distracting and disorienting and confusing. And it produces in us a lot of anger, produces in us a lot of hatred. It produces in us this desire to other people, to put them in the category of other, of outsider, of they don't belong here, of there's not a place for them here, of they gotta get this together before they can really belong here, before they can really be welcome here. And God, until we acknowledge that this is not the vision that you had for us, this is not what you had in mind, we're gonna continue to see these problems grow. We're going to continue to see our churches in decline. We have a new generation of Christians who want nothing to do with the church, and and I think there are a lot of reasons, and I am, am not qualified to share what those reasons are. I don't even know them all, but I do know that being known for what we're against and noted, known for what, what divides us is not getting us anywhere. And so, God, we humbly submit and surrender to you this morning. And we acknowledge that we need your peace, that you are our peace. It's only in and through you that we can go forward being a united body together as one body who shows the world who you are. So God, help us. Help us, God. We wait. We look for you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Good stand. This morning we're going to sing together uh, the song Cornerstone. We're familiar with it. Christ alone is our truth. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love.
darkness seems to hide its face. I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy I invite you, your next step is to continue to wrestle with these things, with these things, and I, as always, invite you to do that with other people, and, and really take an opportunity to go through this passage again and again, and, and really try to familiarize yourself with how this is still, this issue still exists with us in the church today, and then dream with other believers, with others who walk with you, dream about how we can move forward being known in and by and through our peace that is in Christ alone. That's my challenge for us. And, and I want to end on, on recalling again 
that God is good and that God is faithful. And I love that we see throughout the Old Testament that even though the people of God continued to stray away from this, this ideal image that God had in mind for them time and time again, God never left them. God never forsaken, he never left them alone. But he was always with them and he is still with us today. And so the church can move forward knowing that God is with us and that he won't leave us or forsake us. And so friends, I invite you now to go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior. May you be known by that peace. It defines you. It's a peace that can only be found in Christ. Go and share that peace with others who need Christ to be their peace. Go and share that. And go confident knowing that God goes with you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.